Genesis chapter 49. Actually, we'll go through verse 3 of 50. We are right in the middle of Jacob blessing his sons and sort of prophesying over what they will become and in the lands that they will inherit and that kind of thing. But the study of Jacob has been an interesting study. Uh, when we study Jacob, we, we get him from the very womb of his mother to what we're closing up today. He dies. But uh, I don't know of anybody else that you study in Scripture in more detail than Jacob. Uh, we find him as a young man buying the birthright from his brother Esau for a bowl of red stew. Now, he, he drove a hard bargain there. <laughs> Next, you know, he travels to Haran, to Uncle Laban's to take a wife. A few years later, he returns back to Canaan, and he has a wrestling match with the angel of the Lord. We read how he grieves over to his son Joseph when he thinks Joseph is dead. In the last few weeks, we've been looking how he and his whole family have now moved down to Egypt. And we've left off as he's blessing his sons. And uh, verse 10 of chapter 49, it says a peculiar thing. The scepter, the symbol of authority and, and royalty, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from Shiloh, till he comes. That's an interesting verse in this respect. History tells us that in A.D. 6, Rome removed from the Jewish people their last right of what they thought was self Government, Capital punishment was taken away from the Jewish people. Uh, when Jesus is on trial before Pilate, Pilate charges the Jews that want him to try Jesus. He said, you have your law, judge him yourselves. And uh, their reply, it, it's noteworthy. And they say, it's not lawful for us to put a man to death. Shows you their intent right up front. They want to kill Jesus, and that's why they aren't trying him, because they can't kill him because of Roman rule. Uh, to the Jews, this capital punishment being stripped away from them would sort of be like our Bill of Rights being taken away from us. It was that kind of big deal to them. They no longer had the power to govern themselves in their own eyes. And it was a big deal to them. But in their reasoning, these Jewish leaders of that time, they felt that God's word had failed. It no longer was true. Because in verse 10 of chapter 49, the scepter to them with this loss of capital punishment, had departed. And, then it's, and they still felt that there was no Shiloh. Now, Shiloh means, means peace coming 
or simply Prince of Peace in Israel. Little did the Jewish leaders of that time realize that in the little village of Nazareth, there was a young boy growing up who is none other than the Prince of Peace. The Messiah was on the scene when they felt like they lost this uh, coveted self-rule thing. And, sh and uh, it had departed, but Messiah himself was on the scene. But they did not recognize Jesus, did they? From the hardness of their heart, they did not recognize Jesus. And so God's word to these early Jews had failed them. But you know, God's word is true. It was true then, and it's true today. God's word stands on its own. It does not need archaeologists. Uh, they, it doesn't need their spade to dig up some artifact that confirms some event in biblical times. But every now and again, we'll hear of some archaeologists that they've discovered some artifact, and they say, this verifies the story in whatever, and I go, really? <laughs> Man's recording of history, and perhaps you've noticed this, is far from factual. In my lifetime, I have seen truths so distorted by the historians that I almost laugh if it wasn't so tragic. Um, for instance, in many parts of the Islamic world today, there was no holocaust of World War II. That was only 70 years ago, and they refused to accept that. So you got a large segment of the world's population that don't want to believe a truth that is obvious. On that note, it would bring me a lot of pleasure if the unbelieving world discovered Noah's Ark. Just where I could say, uh-huh. <laughs> Therefore, when I come across a truth in the Bible that I find that you know, I don't understand, or it perhaps even baffles me a little bit. I try to make a mental note and say, I'll go with it until more information comes my way. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, they're willing to say God's word has failed versus considering the truth that perhaps Messiah had come. An unbelieving mind, a closed mind, is an affront to the truth of even God himself. It's been said that there is no one that is so blind as he who will not see, and that is so true. <clears throat> we have, as believers, as Christians, the truth of God's word. It's a solid base. It's a true base, and it is something we can base our life upon. So let's pick up in Genesis 49. We'll read verses 13, and we'll read through all the way to chapter 50, verse 3. We're going to get into these sons, and he's blessing the sons. 
Verse 13, 49. Zebulun shall dwell by, by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw the rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear the burden and became a band of slaves. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backwards. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a well, his branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his, but his bow remained in, in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your fathers, who will help you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep, that lie beneath, blessings of breast and of the womb. The blessings of your fathers have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. Up to the utmost bound on the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of his head of him who was separate from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them. And he blessed them, he blessed each one according to his own blessing. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephraim the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Now three verses of chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed, and the Egyptians mourn for him seventy days. Thus we have the blessings of Jacob's sons. Zebulun dwelt by the sea, shall dwell by the sea, and actually Zebulun dwelt between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. And then we have the twelve sons of Jacob, ending with Benjamin there, and their blessings, and in some cases, 
their penalty for for being uh, disobedient and rebellious in their life. And I'm not going to go through all the blessings of these sons. If that interests you, I suggest you get a genealogy chart and look up all that and go to it. <laughs> but we're not going to do that. Uh, many Jews of today still chase back their lineage, their genealogy, to the tribe they came from. And I'm thinking, how do you know? <laughs> but years ago, I was in business for myself, and I had a good older friend who was Jewish. And like any Jew, he drove a hard bargain for the best deal possible. But he and I would have what I call religious conversations every now and again. So one day I asked him, well, what tribe did you come from? And to my surprise, he gave me an, an immediate answer. He said, I came from the tribe of Levi. When I was a boy, I studied to be a priest. And I go, whoa, <laughs> he knew. His family had migrated from Europe to Toronto, Canada, and he had studied. He knew what tribe he came from, and I found that was interesting. Um, I learned a lot of business lessons from this older Jew, and when we read of the blessings of Jacob's sons, my old Jewish friend, Al Lederman, comes to mind. He was a good friend, but he was a hard man. But death is now near Jacob. Verse 29, he says, I am to be gathered to my people. But he wants his sons, don't bury me here in Egypt. Take me back to Cana, to the cave at Machpelah. And there's a big... Uh, building there now, a memorial place that uh, the Islamic people control. And they don't let the Jews in this building too often because Father Abraham was a father to the Islamic people as well as to the Jewish people, so they kind of control it. But it's this memorial place today. Uh, but... Jacob wants to go back to the same burial place that grandfather Abraham had purchased from the Hittites. This is the only land that Abraham ever owned in Canaan. In the promised land, all he ever owned was a burial place. And that's kind of noteworthy. And Jacob, he desires to be buried alongside of dad because in this cave in his burial chambers in this cave is Abraham and Isaac Sarah and Rebecca their wives and Leah Jacob's first wife is already buried there Rachel Jacob's favored wife you might say she was not buried in this cave at Machpelah Rachel had died during childbirth uh, of Benjamin, and she was buried uh, somewhere near Bethlehem, but not in the family burial cave. And that's interesting, though, that Leah, the rejected one, is whom Jacob is buried next to. And uh, that's just an interesting 
side note. I don't know all that possibly means, but it, it has bearing. I, I know that. Death did not sneak up on Jacob. He knew he was about to die. He calls for Joseph, and he calls for his other sons, and he, he wants to bless them before he dies. And he does bless them, pronounces prophecies over them. And then it says he pulls up his feet into his bed and dies. He goes back to what we would call a fetal position. Jacob's death brings about the death of the last patriarch. <clears throat> Excuse me. Abraham... Jacob's grandfather had lived among the sons of Noah. So the, the long lifespans had allowed Jacob's, Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, to even know Noah's sons. And during this time, we're about to go through a population explosion of the whole world, and Israel in particular. At this time, Jacob and his family, they number 70 people, and they're in the land of Egypt. In 400 years, now that's 400 years, but in 400 years, Israel's family will be four, uh, not four, but two million strong. That is rapid. Uh, be fruitful and multiply, if you will. <laughs> that is a lot of people to come from 70 in 400 years. And we have Jacob now, and he's well aware that he is about to die. And it's almost like he has a choice as to when he will die. Because it says he, after he blesses them, he pulls up his feet into his bed and he dies. The will to live is an amazing thing. And I think we all have known older couples where one of the people will die, one of the, uh, the husband and wife will die, and soon after, the other one that's left behind will die also. And it seems like they die of a broken heart or they just have no resolve to carry on. They just say, hey, it's time to go. And the will to live is something that we seem to be able to control. The attitude towards death and burial differs greatly around the world today. The customs uh, are, are very different in, in the many societies that are around the world. The ancient Greeks considered uh, the intellectuals of their day. They had what we would call a death-accepting mentality. Their view on death was hate. Death is just part of life. You live a while, then you die, and you're out of here. And they, they had it. Death is kind of like a completion of life. Well, that was the Greeks. In India, they believe in reincarnation. Uh, that has some appeal to me, but I don't want to come back as a, a roach or something like this, you know. No thanks. Uh, but... After the death of a person in India, in the Hindu religion, they have a funeral fire. They actually burn the body and they gather around and so. 
But in our modern societies, in what we call advanced country, we have a death-denying mentality. We have funeral homes that are marked where they take care of our dead people. A person dies today and they're taken to one of these funeral homes. And then we have a visitation time for family and friends to come and view the body or whatever. And more and more, cremation is becoming popular. And I sort of understand that. That kind of has an appeal to me. I don't want people coming to my grave and saying, oh, there lies a good old boy. <laughs> you know, who needs that? But um, cremation to me only speeds up the process of turning this old body into dust. That's all it does. <laughs> but the Egyptians were notorious for preserving the dead body, especially of royalty. Now, if you weren't of royalty, they just took you out and buried you, and you, know, you were out of the picture. But Joseph, he's governor of Egypt. And Joseph orders for his dad, Jacob, to be embalmed by those that do that kind of thing. And it required 40 days for them to embalm Jacob. And after 40 days, Joseph and his brothers, they carried Jacob out of Egypt up to the burial grounds in Machpelah in Israel. And there's a big group of Egyptians that go with them, and it's a big deal in that part of the world. But that was Jacob. In many parts of the world today, they want to get that body in the ground quickly. because they don't have the ability to preserve a body and a, a body doesn't take long because, before it begins to stink and so forth. The entire Islamic world bury their dead as soon as possible, usually within 24 hours of their death. We Christians, however, have a completely different view of when this old body dies. In fact, we Christians don't even believe in death. We believe in a change of address. We go from here to there. And I like that. You see, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, overcome death for us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 8, it says, we are confident, yes, we are well pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Okay, I like that. Paul speaks that he is well pleased, he is happy to depart from this disease-prone body that he had. He's happy to be, you know, for me to die as Christ, to, you know... And as we age, this becomes more and more evident in our lives that life is very temporary and very quick, to say the least. As I age, I'm going on 69, five years in a row that I've gone on 69. You know what? <laughs> and 
I find that I'm more and more curious about what is beyond this fleshly tent that I'm in now. I'm starting to get fascinated with the hereafter. And I've never been one to look, you know, heaven is, I don't serve God because of the gift of heaven. That's too abstract for my thinking. <laughs> I serve God basically because I know it's the right thing to do. And he's redeemed me. But I find myself now more and more curious about what waits on the other side. Jesus told us, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. I like that. That's immediate, by the way. To the thief on the cross, you remember Jesus' words. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. By the way, Jesus and the thief on the cross are about to die right before sunset, which is, starts the next day. So that before the night falls on that day, that thief will be with Jesus in paradise. There's no limbo. There's no purgatory. There's no soul sleep. Today, the very moment we breathe our last, we go instantly to be with Christ. This corruptible body, it cannot receive the incorruption that God has for us. It cannot receive immortality. So we get a new body and we go instantly to be with our Lord. Um, 1 Corinthians 15.55, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Well, there is no victory in death because our Lord defeated death. He defeated the grave and he defeated it with his resurrection. Without the resurrection of Jesus, without Jesus rising from the grave... Christianity would be just like any other religion. Christianity, it gives us death-defying hope, and it rests totally upon the resurrected Jesus. John 10, 18, Jesus declares, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and here's the kicker, and I have power to take it up again. And after suffering the cross for our sin, Jesus did just that. He was in the grave, you know, for three days and three nights, and he rose again, and with his resurrection, he defeated death and the grave. And he gives his life where we can have life and he gives it to everyone who believes in him. Jacob, he died in Egypt. He was embalmed by the Egyptian. He was carried back up to Canaan and he was buried in the family burial cave. But Jacob is not in that cave. Jacob is with the Lord Jesus this day. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And for each and every believer who has ever trusted in the resurrected Christ, 
We will not suffer death. We will simply change addresses. That is the greatest hope man has ever heard. Amen? Amen.